0: Welcome to Realcast, the weekly roundup of the Real Asset Markets. My name is Richard Betts and I'm joined by James Wallace, Nicole Dines and Dan Innes. Um, James, let's let's start with you. What, what have you been following?
1: Yeah, the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, unveiled the government's winter economy plan in the House of Commons on Thursday. Sunak confirmed plans to end the furlough scheme, which has already cost about £40 billion a day, and replace it with the jobs support scheme, which is effectively... A wage subsidy plan similar to the scheme in Germany, which is designed to protect only viable jobs across companies that are facing lower demand over the winter months because of the coronavirus. So, under the scheme, which is uh, slated to last for at least six months, the government will subsidise employees' wages for those working at least a third of their usual hours. So, this policy shift sort of amounts to, if you like, uh, to a transition from the government carrying the burden of jobs support the economy to a burden sharing between the government and uh, employers. And it's also an acknowledgement that many of the jobs no longer exist outside of the artificial protection of the furlough scheme. In addition, the government has extended the temporary uh, reduction in VAT down to 5%, which will help um, sectors notably in tourism and leisure and hospitality and retail. And that's until the end of March next year. And that kind of sort of is further acknowledgement that, that sectors like that that have really had the... Um, have been affected severely by by the pandemic. So these measures were all part of a coordinated attempt to sort of soften the impact of the new national restrictions that Boris Johnson announced the day before on Wednesday. Um, And they're expected to last, as I said earlier, for at least six months. Some of these restrictions include, as we all know, a sort of 10 p.m. curfew on pubs and restaurants, and more um, pressingly for our sector, um, a U-turn on encouraging workers back to offices. So there's been some early Uh, assessments as to sort of how much all of this new raft of policies might cost. Capital economics um, have uh, suggested that it could be as much as five billion pounds and that would take the total cost of the government's support to the economy to the region of 200 billion pounds which is just under nine percent of GDP and as soon as you sort of add in the sort of the adverse effects of public finances from the weak economy over a sort of a longer period of time, capital economics suggests that this will spiral to as high as 370 billion as a total bill to the taxpayer. Um, And of course many inside and outside the government are expecting tighter restrictions to follow in sort of the weeks ahead and that will only add to an already darkened economic outlook. So the Chancellor will come under a lot of pressure if um, to provide more support to households and businesses if the pace uh, continue, of new cases of coronavirus continues to rise it doesn't slow sufficiently so overall it's a if you like it's a precarious balance between the sort of judicious use of our public finances safeguarding public health and stimulating economic recovery. All very difficult stuff. Boris Johnson's government is seemingly now less focused on preventing a surge in unemployment and business closures and is is clearly sort of pivoting towards adapting to a permanent adjustment of the UK economy. And that includes sort of weaker... Growth rates and higher levels of joblessness. And, and that's not to mention the specter of a possible no trade deal with the EU vis a vis Brexit uh, by the end of this year. So, this winter economy plan is sort of, you can see it sort of marks a sort of a step change in the approach by the government. And um, we, I think many expect that this will lead probably in the new year to uh, a wave of struggling businesses um, collapsing.
0: Well, that's a fantastically upbeat start to the, to the, to the programme, James. Um, interesting also to see that um, the UK is, is kind of coming into line a little bit with what's happening in, in Germany and France as well. And there seems to be more kind of cohesion in a way with the responses across Europe now. Um, Dan, what have you been seeing?
2: First up, I've got the news about Blackstone. Uh, once again in the headlines, they've raised the record 7 billion euro for their latest property debt fund. The US management giant has announced the final close of its most recent real estate debt fund and it's already got this 7 billion euros of total capital commitment secured already and that's almost double the amount they raised in its predecessing fund in 2016 uh, which makes it the largest real estate credit fund ever raised. Um, So whilst we were all at RealX and watching that last week, Blackstone emerged as the preferred bidder on the Prologis platform as well. And that's a 524 million euro deal. Um, And that would make that the the UK's largest warehouse investment sale on record. So so it's been a bit of a a week of records tumbling despite COVID. But um, elsewhere, you know, uh, we've seen uh, the Swedish private equity firm EQT. um, They've made their debut into the UK housing market this week. Um, with a plan to build a billion pounds worth of built-to-rent homes in and around London. They have sort of committed an initial 300 million to build 3,000 flats over a period of about five years in a JV with Sigma Capital, who themselves have been put in sort of about 16 million. The government has actually helped with 50 million pounds worth uh, of a loan to help this joint venture, and that's going to target... Uh, sites with good transport links um, in more affordable boroughs out in outer London uh, such as Ealing, Enfield, Havering. So Louisa Clarence Smith at the Times reported that the deal is the latest to, to involve private equity firms such as Blackstone, big financial institutions including Legal & General, investing in these UK affordable and rental housing products. And of course, we've spoken in the past about mobile living and Apache Capital. But yeah, I mean, this EQT Sigma joint venture, you know, they've already secured seven projects, you know, that's, and those seven are gonna bring about you know, 518 homes. So watch, watch that space. And then lastly, going over to the US, Um, Brookfield, they're planning to sell a swathe of their malls and uh, obviously we've been following uh, the Intu story, the Hammerson uh, share price story over the last few weeks and months. But they're planning to sell several malls and also cut up to one in five jobs, uh, which is sad to hear. I mean, it's been described as a bit of a a drastic overhaul of its retail unit Um, and it it pretty much says a lot about the U.S. mal sector and the state that's in. But I mean the the FT reported last week that the uh, the retail chief executive at Brookfield, Jared Chapala, said that sort of cuts were to align with the future scale of their portfolio. So we're kind of looking at a 20% cut in the scale of that portfolio. And you'll remember in June that I report, I you know I reported on the stories here on, on Realcast about letters being sent to investors, you know, how, how rent collection had fallen to just 35%. And it faced numerous bankruptcies. By the end of June, at least seven of its mouths had already defaulted on their mortgages. And in July, Brookfield even renegotiated a $6.4 billion credit facility with its banks. And you remember the Brookfield Property Partners you know, took on 100 of these US mouths when they merged with General Growth Properties back in 2018.
0: It's interesting, especially that, uh, that focus on um, real estate debt. That seems to be a discussion that we've been having a lot also in, in the interviews that, that we've been doing. Nicole, what, what have you been seeing?
3: Well, Dan was just mentioning this uh, EQT, the Swedish uh, private equity group and its investment in the UK. Well, they've been very busy because they've invested in Italy as well. They have bought casa.it, which is, was a pioneer in the sector, one of the biggest online platforms, of so real estate in Italy, and they bought it from Oakley Capital. Uh, it was a pioneer because it was funded in 1996, so long before uh, the sector took off in Italy. And um, it's interesting because uh, the Swedish group um, EQT, which is huge, it's got sort of 40 billion euros under management, only the week before had bought um, Idealista, which, was, which I mentioned on, on RealCast a couple of weeks ago, uh, for 1.3 billion euros which uh, is again the biggest poverty portal in spain portugal and and, um, and in Italy. So again, uh, m- very much a bet on uh, on online and uh, yes, private equity, as Dan was mentioning, very, very, very much active in the sector at the moment. And in, in general, having followed um, uh, RealX Global and, uh, and other seminars online, there seems to be a, a sort of positive theme running through about how real estate can lead the recovery. They, in places like, like Italy, we've seen Milan, obviously, with urban regeneration playing a huge part in, in, in bringing about, economic recovery. And we're seeing it in Greece. There was this very interesting announcement by the Prime Minister that this Hellenicon project, which is set to totally transformed the coastline around Athens, uh, which had been talked about for, for years. It's an 8 billion euro project. So this announcement in the middle of what is still a very profound crisis is obviously very significant and it very much points to, to that, that Greece, uh, obviously the real estate um, was a huge, uh, especially the hospitality sector was a huge part of the economy and it is set to, to lead back to the economic recovery. So signals both in Italy and in Greece that that, that seems to be the way to go.
0: Yes, that was interesting. Also at the session that we did at RealX on Greece, Hilda Alessandratou of Enterprise Greece, one of the things she said was that real estate has always been a pillar of the Greek economy and is expected to play a significant role in the recovery after the pandemic. And I thought that was an interesting take on exactly what you've been saying there. Thanks, Nicole. Um, Thank you, Dan. Thank you, James. Thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you next week for our roundup of the key themes in real assets. Thank you.